So, so I'm curious, how many of you were here last week when we kicked off our series, Passive Men and Strong-Willed Women? How many of you were here last week? How many of you came this week because you heard about last week? There we go. All right, all right. Okay, well, well, you might notice I, I've got a couple assistants here up on stage. Okay, so this is two and my. Okay? He is our passive guy, and here is our strong-willed woman. Okay? So they're going to help me out through this series a little bit. So passive men and strong-willed women. So, I mean, this is, this is single-handedly the most common pattern, relationship pattern that I see anyway, for years in all of uh, my counseling. Uh, we see this pattern more than any other pattern. Why is that? Why is this pattern, why is this and this so common? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, okay? It actually is very, fairly simple. That, to see, if two passive people got together, guys, if, if you got, like, a wife who was as passive as you, you'd probably end up living out on the streets, okay? <laughs> and if two strong-willed people got together, they would just end up killing themselves, okay? Killing each other, because, because it would just explode. So I, I, I think that's why, because there's this sense that for all of the wrong reasons, the, this combination fits together really well. Now, there is hope though. In a couple more weeks, I'm going to spend two weeks talking about redeeming the passive man and redeeming the strong woman, okay? So there is hope for this combination because I believe there are ways that God has wired us. And if we can tap into that instead of this, I think we will have stronger, healthier, happier marriages. Okay? So, so last week we talked, we talked about escaping the blame game. And I challenge you to own your blame. And own your choices and your behaviors. Okay? And, then, and, and I, I gave you this idea. That blame comes from your fear, not your spouse's failure. We want to blame our spouse for the choices we make. And part of last week was to say, no, no, that nobody wins the blame game. There are no winners in that game. We need to own it, okay? So that was last week. This week, we're gonna spend a week here. Guys, it's time to talk to you, okay? Ladies, you guys, you guys have a week off, okay? You can chill, relax, take a nap, okay? This week, guys, it's time to talk pretty serious. It's time to go a little heavy and get a little hard, uh, say some tough things, and don't feel bad though, because next week I'm going to hammer on the girls, okay? Guys, this is your week here, okay? So, so this, this passive man here, um, and, but see with the guys, I think you guys are tough, I think you can handle it, this is a pretty tough crowd here, so I think you guys can handle some serious words. Okay? So, but first, before I get into any more of this, I, wa I want to actually hear from you guys. Okay, so guys, take out your phones. So take out your phones. And, and I want to ask you a question. And, and I have you guys text me some answers. Okay? And then I'm going to read them out. Okay, so I want you to text me. We've got a phone number up on the screen here. Okay, so here's the question. What is the most common way that you are passive? Okay, what is the most common way that you're passive? So again, we're kind of owning our passiveness here. This is the exercise of owning it. So just text it to that phone number, and I'll start reading them off as they come in. So, and, and ladies, don't give me them ideas. 
Okay? Grab their phone, you start typing for them. No, this is a guys only exercise. Here we go, okay, here we go. Um, let's do whatever you want. Um, say, I'm busy. Uh, your spouse or friend, your mom asks you to do something, you say, no, 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 I'm busy, okay? I'm so tired, I'm worn out, I can't help with the kids tonight, I'm worn out. It was a hard day at work. What else? Not taking initiative, not taking initiative. Just sort of sitting back, sitting like this guy and waiting for your, your partner, your, your wife to take the initiative. Um, oh, that's fine, sure. How's that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine, sure. Um, how about, oh, th this is a great one. Yeah, I'll do that later. <laughs> okay, what else? Not planning. Just be like, oh, we're leaving tonight on a trip and my suit doesn't fit because I'm fat. I need to go get a new suit in an hour. Ever done that one? I sadly have. Um, ignore, just ignoring your significant other. Just kind of doing your own thing. Uh, how about just sleep or <laughs> fantasy basketball? Just doing whatever she wants just because. And then say whatever you like. Whatever you like. One of the quickest, safest, easiest, ugliest ways to get out of a discussion. Not leading my family spiritually. Just going with the flow. There you go. Just go. It just sort of. I, I describe that one as just sort of letting life happen. Just going with the flow. Um, or how about this one? Oh, it's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Okay. Well, so for me, it's probably let my let my wife do all the finances and just not even having to think about it. Um, so I think guys. Okay. First of all, okay, ladies, let's give all the guys a round of applause here. Okay. Let's let's affirm them for owning. Let's affirm us for owning. Our passiveness. Okay, so now, now it's time, we've kind of owned some of our passiveness. Now it's time to get a little deeper. Okay? What is at the heart of the passive man? What is at the heart of the passive man? I believe there is one thing. I think there are a lot of reasons why we're passive. Some of them I, I do believe legitimately are responses to self-controlling or, or strong-willed wives. Just like I believe some of the behavior of strong wives is a response to a passive husband, okay? So, I mean, let's, let's say that. It's not like it's not true. But, again, blaming, nobody wins. So I want us to own the part of our behavior that comes from ourselves. And I believe there is something, there's one thing in all of our relationships, guys, that is at the heart of being passive. There's one thing that you have been taught since you were a kid. There's one thing that is culturally ingrained in Hmong culture. And to a certain extent in American culture, but especially in Hmong culture. And in fact, in many ways, it's even encouraged. Okay? Guys, you have had more practice at this one relational trait, I believe, than any other relational trait. You know what it is? Selfishness. Selfishness. Right? I believe that guys, and no matter what culture you're from, I believe guys from the beginning 
learn selfishness. I think all babies are selfish, with mine, okay? But guys, I think we kind of corner the market on it. And then you overlay a, a patriarchal culture, like mom culture, onto it. Guys, you've almost been trained to be selfish. Amen. Right? Especially if you grew up with sisters. If you ever sat on the couch playing video games while your sister cooked or did the dishes, that is selfishness training right there. If you ever had to, if you ever just got stuff while your sister had to work for it, that's selfishness training right there. So I think that there is a component here that is, is highly cultural. You've got kind of Ameri the American culture of, of male selfishness and then this heavy overlay of mom culture on top of it. But selfishness. And I believe that selfishness is the heart of passivity. This right here is pretty selfish. Okay? Especially when there's stuff that needs to get done. So what is selfishness? I'll, I'll give you two ideas. Two ideas of what selfishness is. First, where you're concerned primarily with yourself. You're concerned primarily with yourself. Another component, kind of an extension of that, is giving little thought to the needs or feelings of others. Giving little thought to the needs or feelings of others. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Like, we all would probably agree that like, our parents, particularly sort of your parents, those with more parents, um, would know that there's a big kind of hierarchy between your, your dad and your mom, and, and your mom does a lot of the work around your house. Your dad probably works hard, hopefully, if he works hard out at a job, but around the house, dad says mom does the work, okay? And you might have seen that growing up with that mirror, what that looks like. Okay? And you might have adapted as well, but, but we also tend to think that the second gen, the, 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 us younger ones, well, I'm partly younger now, but I'll, just, I'll throw myself in with you guys, how's that? Okay? So us younger ones, um, tend to think, okay, well, we, as, as second gen, well, we're a little bit more acculturated, we understand generals a little bit more, we, it wouldn't be like that in our families. Surely it wouldn't be the same as it was with my mom and my dad. Right? And it's, it's really interesting to find when we have folks over and, and we're, we're all playing around, we have a big dinner and dishes, and, and being the person who often cooks at our house, I, I'm often in the kitchen, because I'm cooking up something, and, and so I'm usually surrounded by a lot of the ladies who are in the kitchen helping prepare, okay? That's cool, I'm comfortable with that, they're comfortable with me, it sounds good. Okay? And then often the guys are sort of chilling over on the couch, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of normal, and then, then we all eat, okay? But then the really interesting thing that happens is I kind of grew up doing dishes. That was one of the chores that we had to do. And then in the house, I also will do dishes. We both do dishes quite regularly. And so, so I'll often get up and start doing dishes, and I'm always a little taken aback to see, like, I'm, I'm picking up stuff and cleaning up stuff, and then, and the, so later on, I'll give you the props to, you'll, you'll almost always, hey, can I lend your hand? Or bring stuff in. And guys, I, I gotta say, I rarely hear that from guys. You ever notice that? I rarely hear the guys come up and be like, hey, hey, let me give you a hand. Because they're usually, it's, it's what a lot of you have grown up seeing. And that, I think, is that root of selfishness is to say, you know what, I don't really have to do it because I know the ladies will. 
So what is that selfishness? I think it's, kind of, it's wired in all of us. And I think for some of you, if you grew up in tra really traditional households, it's really wired into you. No matter how much you might hate it, guys, it is wired into your DNA practically. Right? You may hate it, but it's there. So what does selfishness look like in marriage? Okay? What is selfish? What, what are some ways that selfishness looks like looks what it looks like in marriage? Okay? So I'm gonna give you six examples. I'm gonna give you six pictures, okay? So wives, wives and girlfriends, no smiling and poking your significant others on this one, okay? Just let the guys hear this with without your help. Trust me, don't be this. Okay? Okay, so guys, here we go. So here are six ways that selfishness can look like in marriage. So first, you rarely help out with the household chores. Cooking, cleaning, stuff like that. Okay? Now, and maybe you guys have decided that you do all the outside stuff and she does all the inside stuff. Okay, that's okay. As long as that's something you guys have decided and it feels equitable, it feels balanced. But if your spouse is the one, if your wife is the one doing all of the household chores, you might have a little bit of selfishness in you. Okay, another one, okay? You expect sex even when she's not in the mood, okay? You expect sex even when she's not in the mood. You might have a little bit of selfishness there, okay? Or, how about this one? You leave little messes around the house and expect her to pick it up. Maybe it's the socks. I, we, we were just talking with someone just this past week that the dirty clothes that are one foot away from the hamper in a pile right there. And she was like, I don't understand. <laughs> One foot! Okay? But if you leave little piles, maybe it's dirty dishes, maybe it's some clothes on the floor, maybe you just had to turn off a backpack and just flopped it on the ground knowing that she'll pick it up. You might have a little bit of selfishness in you. Okay? How about this one? You prioritize your work or your interest over your spouse's. Fishing comes over spending time with family. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> the key is go fish with family. Okay? So, but, but you prioritize time and money toward your interests over your spouse's. Okay? How about this one? A fifth one. Okay? You leave parenting the kids up to your wife. The parenting is kind of the woman's job. I'm not great with kids. You're really good, so you should do the parenting. You might have, you might have a little bit of selfishness. Okay, and then lastly, you spend a lot of time online, watching TV, gaming, any of that. If you spend a large amount of time doing any of those activities, chances are you're neglecting something. You got a little bit of selfishness in So hopefully at this point, guys, you're at a point where you're kind of acknowledging I've got some selfishness in here. Now at this point, you can have one of two responses. I'm selfish, but that's kind of not a big deal. Because maybe you've grown up seeing that's what men are entitled to. Men are entitled to be selfish, and women are challenged or tasked with being sacrificial. If that is you, you need to own that. And you need to admit that. And chances are, it's hurting your marriage. So one is you admit, I am selfish. But that's okay. 
but it's not big a deal. But I work really hard. But, okay, so if you're, that's the yabba, remember the yabba's from last week? If you're in a, that's a yabba life, okay? The other option is over here, you're like, oh, I didn't think I was selfish. <laughs> Maybe I am a little selfish, okay? If you're here, keep your hearts open, okay? Don't shut down on me. Stay open, stay open to God, because you're, you're on the verge of a transformation. You're on the verge of something new. You're on the verge of life change, okay? Here, you might need to own up to this fact that you actually believe it's okay to be selfish. In which case, marriage is going to be tough for you, and chances are your wife might not be all too happy about that, okay? So, so... That's a little, any of that sound familiar, guys? Is that, yeah, okay, let's, let's, yeah, there we go, okay. It is, it's true, okay? So, I think you kind of own up being like, you might be more selfish than you think. Well, I've got bad news and good news, okay? The bad news is that the Bible is pretty harsh on selfishness, okay? It's pretty harsh, but the good news is the Bible also has a remedy selfishness. It has an alternative to selfishness. So that's the bad news and the good news. So, so let's start with the bad news. Okay? Selfishness is a sin. So for those of you who are over here kind of saying, yeah, I am selfish, but that's kind of, I mean, God's kind of get permission to be selfish. You need to understand that that is sin. That is wrong. And in fact, it's this notion of teaching against selfishness is so pervasive in the Bible, I don't think anybody could make a biblical argument that it's okay to be selfish. Okay, now, I mean, there's always a little asterisk next to that saying like, okay, if, if there are times where it is important to be selfish, right? You, you all understand that, like, if your kid is in the middle of the road and a car is coming, that's a great time to be really selfish and want to save your kid. Okay, so I bet there are times to be selfish, okay? But that's not quite what we're talking about here. So, so selfishness is a sin. From Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the Bible, almost every book of the Bible illustrates the destructive nature of selfishness. It illustrates the sinful nature of selfishness. And time and time again, selfishness damages marriages and it damages relationships with God. There's not a single story in the Bible where you're going to find where selfishness works out well for the person or the people around them. Right? So, so there, are, there literally are like hundreds of passages I could have picked when it comes to selfishness. But we're, we're going to look at just one passage, just a few verses of it. Right? We're going to look at Philippians 2. It's one of the great passages on humility or selflessness. One of the best passages in the whole New Testament about it. And, and it was written about faith in general, but I believe it has an amazing application to all you husbands, boyfriends, and partners out there. It has an amazing application. So we're going to start with it's just the first four verses of chapter 2, so it's a small little section. And at the, this first section, I'm going to read actually out of a, a rather unusual translation. Okay? It's actually a translation called the New Testament for Everyone. 
It, it was it's a very new translation written by a theologian called N.T. Wright, who is, is considered by many to be one of the greatest living theologians we have today. Um, I, I, I've read a lot of his stuff, I like his stuff, and this particular version, I think, does a really good job staying true to the Greek text, but also pulling out some of the, some of the partnership relationship stuff that I think Paul intended in this passage. Okay, so, so you won't, you actually won't find this on your phones, you won't find it oh, only a few places online because it's a fairly new, a little unusual of a version. But you can take my word for it, it is very good, it's very, very accurate, and it highlights some of the things that are particularly relevant in the discussion to husbands. Okay, so this is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4 total. Okay, let's start here. If our shared life in the king brings you any comfort, if love still has the power to make you cheerful, if we really do have a partnership in the Spirit, if your hearts are all moved with affection and sympathy, and we're going to pause there. Okay, so here's this setup that Paul is kind of leads up with. It's his intro. Now you have to understand, Paul is writing to a church that he planted. He's no longer with them. In fact, he's in prison at the time. So he is geographically and relationally apart. But these are people he spent time with. We can actually read it in the book of Acts, Acts 15 and 16, about how he started this church in Philippi. These are people he loved. These are people he did life with. These are people he had a relationship with. And you can hear, can't you hear the passion here? Can't you hear the longing? That's a deep relationship he's got with these people. So that, that's, that's one reason why I like this particular translation is the way they, that they handled this passage. But here's the other thing. Husbands, couldn't you imagine? First, so I want you to imagine your wife exasperated. I want you to imagine her frustrated at the highest level with you. Okay? Just ready to throw in the towel. And now, can you, can you imagine her saying, if our shared life of the kings brings you any comfort, if love still has the power to make you cheerful, if you still believe in this marriage, if you still think this is worth fighting for, if you still love me. Husbands, can't you imagine, can't you hear your wife saying this? When they're most frustrated with you? I think, I mean, I've certainly heard things like this. And I'm guessing you have too. So now let's continue to see what, what he leads in, what all of this leads into. Here it is. Then, make my joy complete. Bring your thinking into line with one another. Here's how to do it. Hold on to the same love. Bring your innermost lives into harmony. Fix your minds on the same object. Now this particular passage is really about church unity. This whole chapter is about church unity. After this passage, he goes on to, to say much more stuff about unity. But isn't there unity in a marriage as well? Isn't part of what's so broken about this is that there's not the unity between a husband and wife? So I think this, this call to unity within the church can also be a call to unity within 
marriage within relationships. So, you think about that. Let me read this again. Then make my joy complete. Bring your thinking into line with another one. Here's how to do it. Hold on to the same love. Bring your innermost lives into harmony. Fix your minds on the same object. Any of that sound passive to you? No, that is a very active call to be of one heart. That is a very active, that, I get tired of just reading that. <laughs> like, dang, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but marriage is. So I kind of, so husbands and boyfriends, I ask, I ask you, do you have harmony with your spouse? Are you of one mind? Are you of one heart? Do you have the same love? If this is what your marriage looks like, chances are you might be missing some of this. You might be missing what Paul is calling the, the Philippi church and calling marriages to. And then, from there, he shifts. He shifts to what, what he believes is the greatest threat to this unity. Selfishness. Okay? And for this one, I'm actually switching to the New Living Translation for just this verse. Actually, these two verses. Uh, the New Living Translation, I think, particularly because it's really simple and straightforward, and guys, we're a little dead sometimes. So I thought I'd go with something straightforward. Simple and straightforward. Here we go. And here's what Paul says. Don't be selfish. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much and amen. Okay. Let's continue. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Every husband should have this up on their wall. I believe this is arguably one of the best pieces of advice for men out there. Yeah, there are other passages around Scripture that refer to that talk to men, talk to husbands, but this, this kind of nails us pretty hard. How many times do we fail at any one of those? So, guys, this is, this is our verse right here. If we want to break this, that's the solution. That's the solution. So you want to blow selfishness out of the water. You want to blow selfishness out of the water. Think of your wife as more important than you. Think of your wife. Put her interests above yours. Stop trying to impress people. With your clothes, your shoes, your game scores, whatever you use to try to impress people, your bank accounts. Stop trying to impress people. And don't be selfish. And I think selfishness kind of just drifts away the more we do that, the more we do these. You know, I think for some of you, this might be hard to imagine. Especially if you've never seen it in a marriage. Maybe you grew up and your dad was very selfish, and your brothers were very selfish. That, and you learn that's how it's to be. But maybe you don't want to be that way. 
you want to be different, you're just not sure how. Like, what does this really look like in a marriage? Okay, well, um, it might be tough if you've never seen it in a marriage. But chances are, sometime in your life, you've played some sports. And maybe as an adult, you love sports and you follow sports and you follow teams. Okay? So it might be hard to see what this looks like in a marriage. But I think for most of us guys out here, you, can, you understand what selfishness looks like on a team. So just a couple weeks ago, I actually saw this image come up on, on one of the, the sports groups I follow. This was actually the uh, water polo group, for those of you who know, I used to play water polo and coach and stuff. And so this actually came up. And it's not, it, it looks like it might actually have come from basketball. I don't know really what sport it comes from. But it's a list that says the top 10 signs you're a great teammate. Okay? So top 10 signs you're a great te teammate. You're willing to play any role that helps the team. You would rather score less and win than score more and lose. When your team scores, the first people you congratulate are your teammates. You love practices as much as you love games. Guys, how about that? If you're ever on an organized team, do you, do you love practices as much as you love games? Yeah, I thought that, that was a stretch. <laughs> you respect your opponents, but you don't fear them. Okay, let's pause here. Okay, so guys, is it, when you think think of basketball, okay, I got little Spurs up there because they're believed by many to be a great model of unselfishness as a team, as an organization. So got little Spurs up there. So guys, in sports, is this making sense? Okay, you can all you can even go by there and be like Kobe, no, Kobe, no, Kobe, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, or, or for all you old school, Alan Iverson, no, Alan Iverson, no, Alan Iverson, no, okay. So there you go. Yeah, so you know, you know this. In sports, you know this. Okay, let's continue the list. You listen, are coachable, and respect your coaches and officials. You are quick to pick up a teammate who's having a bad day. You help younger teammates who have less experience. You learn and grow from your mistakes as well as others. You are confident, but not arrogant. Now, this is pretty easy to understand with a team. Okay? So I'm going to take this same list. I have modified this exact same list for marriages. Okay? So here's my list of 10 ways to be a great, not passive, not selfish, husband that you all already know from sports. Here we go. And this one's not up on the screen, but here you go. Ready? You're willing to do any task that helps the family. You would rather be loving to your wife than win the argument. Mm. When your wife succeeds, you're the first person to congratulate her. You love normal daily life just as much as the exciting time. You love diapers just as much as Fogo. <laughs> there we go. You respect your... You, okay, so remember the one about respecting your opponents, but not fearing them? Here you go. You respect your potential to cause divorce, but you do not fear it. You listen, are coachable, and respect your wife's opinion. You are quick to encourage your wife when she's having a bad day. 
You help your wife parent the kids. Remember the one about younger team players, teammates? You help your wife parent the kids. You learn, and these two are identical. You learn and grow from your own mistakes as well as from hers. And you are confident but not arrogant. So guys, I think you know how to do this more than you think. You know how to do this more than you think. Whether it's your life in, in team sports, pick up volleyball, soccer, football, or, or watching teams. The stuff that makes a great team makes a great marriage. And it makes a great non-passive husband. So I finish with Paul's call indirectly to husbands. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have a high call for us husbands. God, and I confess my own falling short of this. My own tendency to take the easy way out. To skip the effort if I can. Lord, so I confess that, Lord. And, and beyond, on behalf of this church, I confess for them. Lord, forgive us of our sins. The sin against you. The sins against our wives and girlfriends. Transform us, Lord. Transform us into men of action, men of principle, men of humility. That we do not want to be passive anymore. So we renounce, we turn away, we repent from that. And we turn to a new life. Empowered by you, guided by you, not us. <coughs> Lord, I lift this, this group, I particularly, I lift every man in this room, married, dating, or single. I lift every one of them up to you, our Father, and, the, and Jesus Christ, the ultimate sign of humility, the ultimate um, act of humility. So we lift them up in their name.